The Destiny Foundation is proud to present this series of lectures by Rabbi Beryl Wine. We hope you enjoy. The Yontav of Hanukkah has not only an historic aspect to it, but like all of the holidays of the Jewish year, it has a uh, deep and very relevant message for contemporary generations and for the future and destiny of all Jews. But we uh, don't merely celebrate the great event that occurred in the year 165 before the Common Era, when the Hashmanoim were able to triumph over the oppressors of the Jewish people and rededicate the Beis Amigdash and restore, in the words of the Rambam, to restore the Malchus to the Jewish people. The Jewish Malchus is something in itself but to restore self-dominion and malchus to the Jewish people for hundreds of years. As great as that event was, it would not perhaps warrant the celebration of the Yontiv, especially since the malchus of the Hashem did not last, and the second Beis Amigdash itself did not last, it was destroyed. It would not itself warrant this great celebration, if it were not for the fact that with the event of Hanukkah, timeless lessons and strength come, and therefore the celebration continues for all generations of the Jewish people. The mess of Hanukkah, the fact that the small amount of oil burned for eight days, also comes to give us that type of understanding and that type of feeling that we are not talking here about an historic event. We're not talking here about a one-time miracle, but that the Ness of Hanukkah is an ongoing Ness, and it goes on as long as the Jewish people go forth. The basis for the Ness of Hanukkah, of the menorah, is really dependent upon our understanding of the Chumash. We will read at Zos Hanukkah, the last day of Hanukkah. So we read that after all the Nesim brought their korbonos to the Beis Amigdash, the princes of Israel all gathered. Each one had a separate day. And on that day he brought his special sacrifice and offering to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle. And it was a great event that you can imagine that every day a different tribe was represented. Every day the tribe came with its flag, its relatives, its friends. Everybody came to see the great moment. And it is so awe-inspiring that the Chumash devotes to each one of the Nesim, to each one of the princes of Israel, the Chumash devotes a description of what he brought. It doesn't say, and on the second day the man brought the same thing that was brought on the first day, which is the way we would have written the Chumash. Right? We know, Korbano, Karas, Kesef, Achas, we know already what he brought. Silver bowl, and the, uh, and the uh, spoonful of incense, and the uh, animals, we know already what he brought. The Chumash tells it over to us twelve times, each one is individual, it's like the first time it was brought. The Chumash gives great importance to it. So Rashi there quotes the Medrash, the Gemara, 
that all the tribes participated and Aaron Akoin, the Kohanim, did not participate. The Lushan there is Choshadaito Shal Aaron. Aaron felt terrible. Now I want to tell you, Aaron Akoin, Aaron is Oev Sholom, Verodev Sholom, he's Makaira Sabrias Latora. Aaron does not get nervous if they don't give him after Yaina. He doesn't have the honor that is due to him. Aaron runs from honor. Aaron willingly turned over the leadership of the Jewish people to his brother Moshe. Aaron stayed in Mitzrayim all the years of the Shibud, all the years of the, of the terrible suffering. Moshe was in Midian. Moshe was in Africa. Now when the redemption is about to come, so God sends Moshe, and Moshe tells Aaron, you know, I'm going to take over. So even though Aaron believes that Moshe is the Shliach Hashem, and even though he's his brother, it would not be hard to imagine, we know that even amongst brothers, jealousies exist. There are rivalries. Not easy. I mean, I sweat, I held the fort when you were gone. You were gone for so many years. Moshe was gone for over 50 years. Now, I stayed in Mitzrayim the 50 years, and I was the one that fought it through. And I'm the one that preserved the Jewish people. Now all of a sudden, you come. So it says, Vayetze Aaron. Aaron went out to greet Moshe. What a simcha. His brother is coming back. His brother is going to be the leader of the Jewish people. Aaron has no, not that he has no ego, but he has no ego that interferes with how a Jewish leader should be. And here, all of a sudden, you see him bring their korbonas Aaron comes and says, how can that be? How can that be? That you know, Where am I? What happened to the coin here? Where's my Corbin? Where's my day? Where's my Parsha in the Torah? So the Ravon Sholem answered him that he shouldn't worry. Don't worry, Aaron. You have a greater Parsha than they do. You have a greater task than they do. The reward for you is, is much more. You're going to light the candles. You're going to charge the menorah. You're in charge of the light for the Jewish people for all generations. You have something that's greater than they. So I've always thought that the Shalchog Dolom Mishelahem is really the motto of Hanukkah. You have to feel that way. That's what Hanukkah comes to teach us. There's a certain presence, a certain understanding of life and of the world that Hanukkah comes to teach us. If you'll allow me to paraphrase it in a few moments, I think that you'll see that even the fact that Hanukkah falls in the season of the year that it does in the Western world, when the rest of the world apparently has so much, Hanukkah comes to express an idea to us. An idea of self-worth. If a person doesn't have self-worth as a Jew, then he is of no value whatsoever to himself or anyone else. What happened with Hanukkah? The Greeks came to the world. I want you to know when the Greeks came to the world, it was a revolution much like the 19th century came to Western man. It upset everything that had gone before. And it blinded the world in a radiance that the world had never seen before. The world had seen smart people before in advanced civilizations. There was Egypt and Mesopotamia and Babylonia. 
but there was nothing that was the equal of Greece. Yofiso shel Yefes. The beauty of Yefes was Greece. Greece was culture, it was language, it was literature, it was drama, it was art, it was sculpture, it was architecture, it was sports. There never had been such a civilization loosed at one time. And man saw progress as had never been seen before. In every area of endeavor. Literally from the time of the Greeks, I think, uh, till the time of the 19th century, there was not such a movement among man at one shot for the advance of civilization, for the push of culture, for the attractiveness of ideas. And Greece was a shining beacon. It was a searchlight that came to the world. It was such a searchlight, it was so powerful, because I'll tell us that that's how the Targum Ashivim came to the world. The Septuagint, the translation of the Chumash, the Tanakh into Greek. The great the Greek prince, Talmai, Ptolemy, who was the ruler of Egypt, the successor to Alexander the Great in the Southern Empire, so he had it done. And it was such an important event that the Rabboni Shalom Kaviyochel blessed it with miracles. Even though it was a dark day, Chazal say, for the world, for the Jewish people. Because the Torah got away from us. On that day the Torah went to the world. The world doesn't know how to handle it, and it comes out distorted. It comes out with problems. But it was taken from us. It became the property of all of humanity. It no longer is ours. And Chazal said, Yofioso shall Yefes be all a shame. The beauty of Yefes and the tents of shame. That's what the influence of the Greeks was. Jews gave themselves Greek names. You look at the first of the Zugos, you see the name Antignos, Antignos Ish Socho, Antigone. Alexander became a Jewish name. Many, many, Alexander, which was a Greek name, became a Jewish name. And many other changes occurred within the Jewish people because of the fact of Greek civilization. So there arose a large number of Jews, but there always are many Jews that are blinded by what happens in the outside. Those are Jews who do not have a feeling of self-worth, who do not have a feeling of self-pride, who do not feel... That shall that we have something. They came and they said, Well, let's be Greek. The future of the world is certainly Greece, it's not Israel. The future of the world is sports and drama. It's Homer and Euripides. It's the mathematics and science and engineering. Pythagoras. Certainly is not going to be Abaya and Rove. And therefore they said initially we'll only be part of Greek culture. But then when they became part of Greek culture, they became misyavnim, they became Hellenists. They were out to make the Jewish people Greek. Our best estimates that maybe a third of the Jewish people fell into that category. And it's always the better class, the upper class, the wealthier class, the one that could afford to belong to the country club, who could keep his membership in the, you know, to go to the Greek theater. The poor guys, the poor schnooks that are working for a living, they don't have time for it. They don't have money for it. But the aristocrats, the leaders, that was the wave of the future. 
They dressed in Greek clothes, and they spoke the Greek language, and they sent their children to the Greek Lyceum, to the gymnasium for schools. They educated themselves in that fashion. And then they became ashamed of themselves for being one of the pshotim that the Meforshim say, Amefer Briso Shal Avroma Vinu, is that they, they took the sign of the covenant, which is in the flesh of every male Jew, and they went through painful cosmetic operations to make it appear as though they were uncircumcised. Because the Greeks were uncircumcised. If you went to the sports arena or to the baths, you were naked. So then you didn't want to be circumcised among all the other uncircumcised. And there came about a tremendous defeat within the Jewish people. The defeat from within was as great as the defeat from without. There were Jews that became collaborators. There were Jews that became Greeks. There were Jews that were willing to sacrifice pigs on the altar. There were Jews that cheered the erection of the statue Zeus in the base of Migdash. They saw it as a sign of progress. Just as there are Jews today that cheer things that happen within the Jewish world and don't realize that it is destructive and it is not something to be proud of. What did Aaron say regarding his role? Aaron said, I'm the repository of Torah. You have given me the task, the lips of the Kohen, that's the guardian of knowledge by us. And the Torah has to be taught by me. I have no respect in the world. The other Nisim, they're great people. They're great people in Israel, the Nisim. And they bring sacrifices, and there's a great deal of publicity, and they're written up in the Chumash, and they have psukim and parshias and flags, and I have nothing. I'm not asking for myself. But what's going to be, Rebbeinu Shalelam, how is anybody going to want to be a Kohen? How will anyone want to be a Talmud Chochem? How will anyone want to be a Jew if there's no recognition in being Jewish? So Rebbeinu Shalom told him, listen, Aaron, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be impressed. That's right. You know, they get the write-ups in the papers. They're the big rabbis. And they go visit. And they're the ones who have their pictures. And what they say, the Times quotes, Shalcho Godel Mishalahem. Your share is greater than theirs. You matter more. You are the one that will guarantee what will be at the end. The survival of the Jewish people is dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon them. You are the one that makes the candles burn. You're the one that makes the menorah be lit. That's a far greater task. Far more important task. And you have to appreciate it. And that's what the Hashem came and attempted to accomplish. It's not just the national restoration of the Jewish people, great as that may be, because that's only part of it. It's a beginning step, but it's not what the Jewish people are about. We're well aware of that today. God has granted us that we see a national restoration of Jewish life today, unexpected, not in the form that we envision not satisfying to any faction of the Jewish people. You'd be certain that the secularists are also not happy with the state. It's hard to swallow for everyone. But the obvious point is that it's only the beginning of something. What it will eventually look like, 
depends a great deal upon us, and it depends naturally upon God's will. But the restoration of Jewish nationalism per se is not the end, barely the beginning. The Hashmanoim and Chazal, when they were Mesach and Hanukkah, realized that. And therefore, even though they celebrated the victory of the war, because without the victory, without the physical survival of the Jewish people, there's nothing to talk about. You cannot teach Torah to ashes. The Jewish people are here because they're human beings. We have to have more of them. And we have to protect what we have. And we cannot afford to lose one. But, the mess of Hanukkah is commemorated in the menorah, in the spiritual quality, in the light that was lit by the Hashmanoim. And that's something that no one can take away from us. Even when the Malchus Hashmanoim ended, even when the second Beis Amigdash was destroyed, even when the Jews went into exile, the Ness of Hanukkah went with them. Because it was a continuing Ness. And the continuing Ness is based on the idea of Shalcho Godel Mishalohem. That what you have is more. What you have is nobler. The garbage that fell off at a Jewish table, the scraps, have become the highest form of nobility in world philosophy and in the thoughts of man. Literally, the scraps off of our table. And that idea has to be understood by Jews, appreciated. And has to be appreciated within the Jewish world as well. I often have the feeling that Bukharim, that students in the yeshiva, don't realize the role they fulfill. They don't realize what they are in the Jewish scheme. Many times they feel sidetracked. Oh boy, if I had my PhD, if I had my law degree, if I had my medical degree, if I have this, if I'm, you know, I'm the vice president of the largest firm, they're the people who are really accomplished. What am I doing, right? Unfortunately, there are many people in the Jewish field themselves who feel that way. It's a terrible, terrible disease. If a rov feels that his bond, and I don't mean to demean anyone, but if a rov, if a rabbi feels that his balabatim are more choshev than he is, that somehow they're doing things that are more productive, he's jealous of them, then he doesn't belong in the rabbonus. He should leave immediately. If someone that's engaged in Jewish chinuch feels that somehow... Other people are doing things, I wish I were them. I wish I were they. I would like to be. So many do leave. But those that leave, leave, I think, I don't think it's a loss. Because it's missing in the Shalcha Godel Mishalahem. It's missing in the mission. Teaching Jewish children is a mission, it's not a job. Being a rov for the Jewish people is a mission, it's not a job. You want to go work, work on Wall Street. You know, there were jobs there for a while. Maybe there'll be jobs again. Go to Japan, right? Rigetti is going to Japan, right? There are jobs, right? We're not talking about jobs. We're talking about Shalcho Godel Mishelahem. We're talking about being the coin. The coin is not a job. A ben Torah is not a job. Going to yeshiva is not, you know, I have to. My mother makes me, my father makes me, you know. Forced into it you really feel that way, then you don't belong. If that really is the sum of everything that you have to offer, then you can't really be employed in a productive role in Jewish life. You have to feel the sense of mission. 
You have to feel what it means to belong to an eternal people. You have to feel what the Nes Hanukkah is. That the little candle that the world has been snuffing out for thousands of years still burns. That's what you have to feel. Feel that, then all the other things fall into place. You don't feel that. It's an empty, lonely world out there. You'll never be able to satisfy, no matter how many toys you acquire. You know, we're small children, so then you get a toy, little truck is good enough, right? We're a big child, right? So you got to get a Maserati. It's the same as mentioned that uh, there's a cemetery in the United States called Forest Lawn. There's a cemetery in California. California by itself, is a different planet. H.L. Mencken once said that God took the United States and stood it on end, and everything that was loose fell to California. So in Forest Lawn Cemetery, there was a guy who owned a big Rolls Royce, so he had himself buried in his Rolls Royce. That's his Matzavit. He's buried in the Rolls Royce. It's not as meshug as it sounds because the Egyptian pharaohs used to bury themselves in the pyramids also with their chariots. But that's what happens. You know, when you grow older, you have bigger toys. Some people have remained that way that even when they're buried, so they're buried with their toys. We're not talking here about toys. We're not talking here about carpeting and furniture. We're not talking about fashions. We're not talking about jobs. We're not talking about all of the things that the world talks about, that the paper is full of, that society impinges upon our mind every minute. We're talking here about a small little candle that doesn't require any fuel, burns by itself. I spoke in Minneapolis Sunday night at the day school dinner in a very, very fancy hotel, in the Ritz Hotel, called the Ritz, and it is the Ritz. So... uh, they were so impressed that they were having such a notable guest at the hotel that they, uh, with the banquet hall, they gave them a free suite, penthouse suite on top of the Ritz Hotel in Minneapolis, where I spent the night. And since I'm not always accustomed to such fine diggings, so I spent time looking around the suite. I opened every drawer, you know. Maybe somebody left something. Who knows? Right? So in the suite at a Ritz Hotel, they have what's called an Atmos clock. An Atmos clock is a very expensive clock. I think they're $1,500 or $2,000 a clock. I, I know that it's valuable because it's screwed into the, uh, into the mantle, right? I mean, you have to, you have to work to get it if you wanted to take it. But the clock works without any batteries, without any electricity, without ever being wound works on atmosphere. That's why it's called atmosphere. The change in the atmosphere, the change of weather, the change in the barometer powers the clock. And the clock re- runs eternally, right? This is the eternal clock. Nobody's been around to test it yet, but, but the theory is that it runs forever and never needs adjustment. It's perfect. It's a gorgeous thing. So I, I was impressed by the clock. Stood watch, you know, and it's flips back and forth, flip forth. I said, I said to myself, you know, a rabbi always needs a drosha. So what drosha can I say about the clock? I said that that's, the clock is here to show us the Nes Hanukkah. That's why I'm here to, two days before Hanukkah with this clock. What I mean, I'm in the clock in the room. Clock runs without anything. 
runs on atmosphere. It's on air pressure. It just runs. You know, we accept it. You pay $2,000 for it. It's great. You know. How does it run? What do you mean it runs on atmosphere? Who provides the atmosphere? Well, what happened there? So we also have something that runs like that. Right? It runs, you know, there's no, there's no oil. There's no wick. And it all runs, right? There's a little flame. Keeps on burning. It's all running. It's all here. It's eternal. It doesn't need batteries. You don't plug it into anything. It's greater, greater than anything else that's ever occurred in the history. We say in Alanisim, so we list the competitors, so to speak. We're showing biat sadikim, giborim biat haloshim, tmeim biat ahorim. So there it says zaidim biat oske sorasecha. The word Zaidim in Hebrew means a tyrant. It means an awful person, an unprincipled awful person. Uh, cold-blooded killers. That's Zaidim. person with no conscience. The worst of the Western world. I'm reading a book now that I think that you should read also. That I want to tell you, in my experience, it is the most difficult book I have ever read. It's a book called The Holocaust, and it's written by an English Jew, Martin Gilbert. I've read many books on the Holocaust, many books. None of them are pleasant reading. But I've never read a book that, you know, I can only read a page, two pages at a time. I have to put it away. I can't take it. And I wasn't never able to understand. I'm working on this book for two and a half months, three months. I read maybe a page a day, two pages a day. I stop reading it before I go to sleep because then I can't sleep. And I was, I'm, I'm trying to put my finger on why this book bothers me, for instance, more. Justice in Jerusalem, I read twice. Wiesel's books, I've read many times. The Yisker books of many of the towns, I've read many times. The book on Treblinka, I've read. Why does this book do it to me? And I finally came to some sort of peace with myself, at least regarding what the problem is. The problem is that this book reveals the oppressor in such a fashion that I see him as my neighbor next door. It's what uh, Hannah Arendt called the banal face of evil. The evil is the man next door. It's not, you know, it isn't that they imported, that Hitler imported 100,000 Rishoyim to do this. These were Ukrainian people who lived next door to Jews for a thousand years. They were Lithuanians who lived in the same village. They were Poles who lived together. They were partners in businesses. They were people who many times owed their lives and their favor to their Jewish neighbor. And how could they come and do it? A Jewish man with a crippled son came over, knocked on the door. He and his son had escaped from the concentration camp and they'd walked. 16 days without food or water, just living on roots, and they stumbled into a Polish farmer's house. So the farmer turned them over to the Gestapo because for two cubes of sugar. That's Zaydi. That, that, that is a level of human behavior that's Zaydi. That's tyrannical, evil. That's the worst in us. It's terrible to kill somebody because he's different than you are terrible to destroy someone because you hate his ideas and you can't tolerate him, so you kill him. But in my mind, that's more understandable than turning over two human... That's Zaydin. And that was the struggle. Those were the Greeks. And the Rabboni Shalom gave them over, Biad Oske Torah Secho, it says. 
the lotion that Chazal chose to portray the contest. Oske Torasecha. He didn't say that he turned them over to the Giborim. He didn't turn them over to the heroes of the Jewish, turn them over to the Israeli Air Force. He didn't turn them over even to the courts of justice. Zaydim biyad oske sorasecha. The people that are osek patora, the people that are descended from Aaron Akoin, the sifse choin yishmeru das, the Torah yavakshu mipiu, the people who understand that our menorah burns on atmosphere without fuel, they are the ones that triumph. They are the ones that were able to live in a world of Zaydim and not be destroyed. I have, I was looking in my Sforim, uh, my semi-annual uh, cleanup before Pesach. I'm under uh, duress to do so on the better half of my family. But once in a while, I like to put things in order myself. I'd like to see the bottom of my desk, you know, once or twice a year, just to see that it has a wood bottom. So I'm, I was putting my things away, and I found I have an old book that I, got, I received when I was in the yeshiva. The book is inscribed to me. The book is published in 1946. The book is a, a Ktos in a miniature form, printed on paper that's so poor that if you turn the pages today, the paper falls apart. It was printed in Shanghai. It was printed in Shanghai in 1946 by the remnants of the Jews, the Mir Yeshiva and other Lithuanian Jews that somehow, European Jews that found their way to Shanghai during the war and survived there. So imagine, 1946, Jewish world is destroyed. There isn't one of them that doesn't have relatives that are up the chimney, gone. Chimneys have lost their attraction for the Jewish people. They're funny places anymore. You don't see gifts flowing down from chimney ashes going up chimneys. Well, they published it. Like the, that's what the world needed then, right? That's what was mit the Haitian. I remember, I remember the Jew gave it to me in Chicago, and I remember what he told me. He gave it to me, the, uh, the belated bar mitzvah present, five or six years later in the 19th. I remember what he told me. He said when it was over, when the war was over, and the Japanese were defeated, and the Americans and the British came to Shanghai to release them, and they started printing. So the first thing they asked for was paper to print Sforim. And he said there were two people in the mirror yeshiva that knew the Tosach Hoshim by heart. By heart. And he said they sat down and they were magia. They corrected the galleys by heart. Because he, he said we thought that there was no more Tosach Hoshim in the world. I have another story to tell you about it. The Velia Meir's Bloch, Zechert Sadik Levrocha, the Rosh Yeshiva of Tells who brought Tel's yeshiva to America, and who was a, a giant of an, an aristocratic, gigantic person in every respect. So when he came to Tel's and to, came to Cleveland in 1941, so when he came to open the yeshiva, and they opened with eight boys, there's some people here from Muncie that are from the original crew yet. So he went down to the Jewish bookseller in Cleveland, and he said, I want to buy a Ksosachoshen. So the bookseller told him, Rebbe, Echob, Eine. Rebbe, I have one. Hit us. Be careful. It's the last Ktosachoshin in America. It's going to be the last Ktosachoshin in America. That's what the Greeks said. It'll be the last one. There's going to be another one. And there, unfortunately, there are many Jews that also say it's the last one, right? Hitler made a museum. It was on tour here. 
last year in America. The communists have it in Czechoslovakia now. You know, they inherited it. Hitler had a museum of every Jewish artifact. Parochusen, Talesim, Tzitzis, Tfilm, Menorahs, Megillus, Milonives, Shchitonives. Because he said, when there are no more Jews in the world, we're going to have a museum to show what once was. But we're not big on museums. We're the museum ourselves. It's not the last Tzosachoshin in America. Nobody has to make a museum for us. Zaydim biyad oskei Torah The Zaydim are gone. The oskei Torah are still here. Shelcho godol mishelohem. What you have is greater than what anyone else has. That's what Hanukkah comes to tell us. Very, very simple elementary lesson. That self-pride, the pride that comes from Nisim and comes from Melchomas and comes from Chuos, it comes from the struggle to remain Jewish to be a bentora, to be a member of the Jewish people, to appreciate what it is to be a Jew. That's the little lamp that we have. That's the little light that burns. If that burns, then you don't have to worry about the fuel, and you don't have to worry that the winds will blow it out. Don't worry about anything. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed that the, as the Rabboni Sholem did nisim lavoseinu bayomi mohein, so will he certainly do them for us, bizman hazeh. Again to see the Hadlokas Haneros throughout the Jewish people and the physical Hadlokas Haneros which will exist in Yerushalayim when again Kohanim Bavodosom and like the menorah in the Beis Amigdash, the great menorah will blaze with the light of Torah and of goodness and of all of the great eternity that is promised to us and to Chol Yisrael. I wish you a happy and enjoyable Hanukkah. This concludes this lecture by Rabbi Beryl Wine. For information, please contact the Destiny Foundation at 1-800-499-WINE. That's 1-800-499-9346 or at our 24-hour fax, 845-368-1528. We can also be reached by email at info at jewishdestiny.com and you can shop online at www.rabbiwine.com. Due to copyright laws, we kindly request that there be no duplication of this lecture except through the Destiny Foundation.